Hello, welcome to some derps talk about games. I'm your co-host Mango, and I am your co-host Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Ant Man and the Wasp. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you show the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, on the next podcast, or on this podcast, we—I don't know why I said that. Uh, on this podcast, we talk about games, but also movies. Today is a movie episode. Ant-Man and the Wasp just came out this weekend, and uh, and I'm sure everyone out there is very excited for our takes on it. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, and uh, if any of our pre-podcast discussion is indicative, it will be quite the discussion. But um, these episodes are normally very spoilery, spoilery, but before we get into it, let's give our one-sentence pre-reviews. Buddy, why don't you go first? Uh, my one-sentence pre-review is my... This is both my one-sentence pre-review and my, like, hot take. Um, I think this is the worst Marvel movie. Uh, not to say that it is bad, because I think Marvel makes fundamentally pretty good movies, and being, like, you know, the C-plus kid is still a passing grade sort of thing in that in that group. But I think Ant-Man and the Wasp is ultimately uh, pretty forgettable. We won't be talking about it or thinking about it in you know, a year, honestly, in, like, six fucking months, um, and, uh, uh, if any of that discourages you from going, I wouldn't blame you. Uh, yeah, um, so, maybe we don't disagree as much as I initially thought, but, um, I thought it was fairly middle of the pack, I don't think I would say that makes it good, um, I don't think it's the worst Marvel movie, only because I think that things like Thor, Dark World, and, uh, and Iron Man uh, 3 exist. Um, I think it's got some pretty fundamental flaws, but um, uh, as, as is known, Ant-Man is my favorite Marvel movie, um, and this one was not nearly so good. Um, but if you are a fan of the first Ant-Man, this will scratch the itch at least a little bit. So um, go watch that. It, you, it will not hurt you to go watch this if you are a Marvel completionist, um, but uh, if you only check out the good Marvel movies... I would not spend my Marvel budget on this one. Um, uh, and I, I will agree with you that much there. Um, but it was very, it, it, it was very Ant-Man. But uh, before we get into this further, just spoiler warning, spoilers. Um, everything from this point on will be spoiled. Uh, I'll also say that we'll, we'll probably end up spoiling some bits from Ant-Man 1. Um, and also maybe uh, Infinity War, because there is some tie in there. So if you have seen not seen any of those movies and you wish to remain unspoiled on them, uh, do not uh, listen to any further. And you know what? J just to be kind of safe, uh, we might end up talking about any number of Marvel movies in spoiler spoiler territory. Yeah, we tend so. to really run the gamut. Yeah, <laughs> right. But like, as far as what you can expect, right? Like, yeah, yeah. spoilers spoilers for for this movie, and then put, and high chance of spoilers for Ant Man One and uh, and Infinity War. Um, so you've been warned. Uh, go away. If you don't want to hear spoilers, otherwise stay here and listen, listen to us talk. Um, all right, so I, I kind of want to lead this off um, with uh, something that. So, so the thing that I love most about the Ant Man movies is basically Paul Rudd, because um, I'm, I'm a big Paul Rudd fan in general, um, and I think part of what makes me like Ant Man once so much, uh, just the uh, fullest kind of explanation. I went and watched Ant Man one the day before I wa before Ant Man and the Wasp came out. Um, and, uh, Paul Rudd brings his, brings his kind of, like, lightheartedness to, like, it's, it's weird to say this, because Marvel movies are all, like, at some level comedic, 
Yeah, but I feel like Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp are, like, the comedy Marvel movies in the same way that, like, Winter Soldier is, like, the spy thriller Marvel movie. Okay. Um, and it's a weird thing to say that because they're already comedy movies, so it's kind of, like, like the differentiation isn't as much there. But I thought it worked out well in Ant-Man 1. Uh, Paul Rudd brings kind of a levity that you don't necessarily see in, in the other movies. Um, and uh, some a piece of criticism that I saw elsewhere that I highly agree with, at least for the first half of this movie, is Paul Rudd isn't playing Ant-Man. Paul Rudd is playing Paul Rudd playing Ant-Man um, from the first movie. And it feels kind of forced in the very first in the first half of this movie. I yeah, think I'm not sure that I agree that there's a point where it doesn't feel forced. I thought Paul Rudd was uh, was not very good in this one. Um, like, or you know, it's weird to say not very good, but I thought Paul Rudd didn't. I don't know. He like he like did his 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 thing, but it felt so le- much less natural this time around. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I I absolutely like I said. I I think I think he pulls it around by the end of the movie but i understand the perspective that it was kind of bad all the way through for me the the big turning point was when uh janet is like in his head like um because that because even though it's not scott lang the character right supposed to be the one like that felt like a very paul rudd-esque moment and i think he pulled that off great like him pretending to. i will say yeah that moment worked for me um Um, which is funny because like i feel like paul rudd as janet was not very much like Janet or Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet when she finally comes out of the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the quantum realm. Yeah, there was this weird, like, grandma thing to it where he was like, oh, dearie. And then, like, Michelle Pfeiffer comes out and she's like, yeah, but you want to fuck this grandma. And I was like, like, these are not the same people. Yeah, but, uh. Yeah, that that moment worked for me. But that that was kind of the first thing because you know, like I said, I really enjoyed the 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 first movie, and then I got I got my kicks out of this movie. But it definitely yeah. So the reason that I think that this is the worst Marvel movie is I'm kind of like anticipating in myself and in the culture itself um, a kind of uh, like a kind of cool down. and I talked about this a little bit with, like, Infinity War, and I have developed my thesis much more so, I feel like. Um, because I think... Um, so here's what I think about Marvel movies, right? Uh, man, God, I don't even know where to start. This actually gets kind of complicated. Okay, so do you know what? Have I explained reader response theory on the podcast? No, right? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, so reader response theory is, like, a kind of criticism. Um, so, like, you know, like, film criticism and like and, like, film theory and stuff like that, like... There are a bunch of different theories that are essentially lenses with which you can use to kind of, like, evaluate this stuff, right? Essentially, you get, you get a theory in order to create a rubric for yourself to define what's good or bad about a film, right? So, for instance, you know, feminist theory, its rubric is all about, well, how are the women portrayed on screen? Are they objectified? Do they have agency, right? Like, that's what, that's what feminist theory looks for when you are evaluating media with feminist theory. Queer theory is different than structuralism is different than reader response theory, right? And reader response theory was developed by this guy whose name I don't remember. I read this in college. Um, and he's actually where the term, like, cultural consensus, we've talked about that elsewhere, right? Like, this comes from reader response theory. Reader response theory basically me- says that media is so inherently ambiguous, right? You're filling in so many of the gaps on your own, Um that really, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is the reader's interpretation of what they saw, right? 
And that kind of is the is like the ultimate endpoint of death of the author, right? Where it says authorial intent doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is you know what somebody takes away from it. That's a set, that's reader response theory is kind of the theory side of what that comes down to when you follow it to its logical conclusion, right? Um, but one of the important things about reader response theory is that like it's not to say that everybody's individual interpretation is like equal or unique because people bunch up in their interpret interpretations to to kind of align themselves and these are called interpretive communities right um so for instance you know the whole movie going public of the u.s is one interpretive community but there might be an interpretive community of star wars fans or there might be an, an interpretunity uh, interpretive community of like little kids right which is how you might get like different things where it's like okay the interpret the interpretive you know community of star wars fans from the 80s think prequels are bad you know if you grew up with star crawls is star wars if you're if you're a gen xer or something like that but if like you're a millennial and you grew up with like the star wars um prequels as a kid and then like the clone wars show with anakin and obi-wan right maybe you have a different interpretation of that and that's how you get some of these conflicting things right uh, another um, example of this is like i am a member of the interpretive community of dc universe fans but the interpretive community of like the american film going public does not interpret those movies well do you understand where i'm coming from yeah um it is was this in the, in that um in our one of our private trips you linked a video about yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah the yeah. last jedi um i'll link that video in the description because it was both very interesting and i think illustrative of this point um just note there it's a it's a video about uh reader theory uh What's what's the term for it again? Sorry. Reader, reader response theory. Reader response theory on the last Jedi. Very interesting video. But anyway, so continue. and so when it comes to Ant Man, right? My bet. I think the reason that Marvel is so successful, and I think um, the reason that we kind of are in this Marvel age, is because reader the the interpretive community of the American film going public, right? There was a pretty big shift in two thousand and eight around Iron Man. Um, we all kind of thought that the Dark Knight was sort of, um, you know, the, the the pinnacle of this, like, dark and serious storytelling when it comes to superheroes. Um, and that from then, you know, and it would usher in this, like, a new wave of kind of, like, super serious takes on, you know, like, superheroes and everything. But it actually turned out that the Dark Knight was kind of, like, the peak of that. And then that very quickly fell off. And audiences didn't really have like a huge connection to that sort of approach anymore in the way that they had previously in um, the aughts, I guess, right, for the previous eight years. Uh, but Iron Man turned out to be like the next big thing, right? And the kind of action comedy sort of mildly irreverent approach is what is what came to sort of like dominate things right um and so like for instance the fantastic four movies from before 2008 i bet if we were to watch those afterwards they would be much better liked because they are kind of more goofy um and like you know action comedy e uh another big one is superman returns i feel like superman returns would go like fucking gangbusters right now um but anyway uh so i think that 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 so iron man was that kind of like big shift and for the last 10 years we've kind of been living in that world right um and it's been heightened and furthered by stuff like you know like the avengers that encourages sort of comedy and bathos and stuff like that bathos um and stuff like that and um and i think that that interpretive community will then overcorrect in a way for films flaws when they match 
certain criteria and mainly that criteria is kind of like likability of the like the main characters and i've sort of talked about this in the way with like the force awakens right like you know like the force awakens is the best reviewed you know movie ever and everything um but one of my big problems with the force awakens is that i felt like everyone was wearing these kind of likability suits that were built to appeal to me in an illusory way rather than like in a real way um, and I got that same sort of feeling about Ant-Man and the Wasp, right? Like, I didn't get the feeling that a lot of these... W these were not real people in a lot of ways. They were kind of robots that were going through the plot, uh, making, you know, like, making decisions in order to make the plot happen. Um, but they were wearing this illusion, you know, like, there was this hologram sort of thing that... Uh, uh, yeah. That was like, I, I am funny, I am likable, you like me because I'm making you laugh and I'm disarming and I'm charming sort of thing. Um, so so I, I definitely get that. I think this actually ties into to, to the point that we were just talking about with like kind of like uh, uh, Paul Rudd, like playing Paul yeah, Rudd, yeah. right? Um, I, th I think there's definitely kind of like that overcorrection, but I also think there's part of this is that a lot of what felt natural in Ant-Man 1 feels forced here, and I think they were just trying to like, capture you know like have lightning strike twice in a weird way because it's weird because like i don't think lightning struck hard that first time the first time around like i really enjoyed it but i understand that you know cultural consensus is is that that movie was kind of forgettable but like the things that made that movie work um like i think the biggest example of this is uh the uh the the it's probably like sodium pentothal that mm. makes Luis go into oh his like God. rant mode right like like that was clearly supposed to be like, remember that rant thing from the first movie that you all liked? Well, here it is again. Whoa, guys, love us, right? Like, and and I I felt that like that kind of fell flat in a lot of ways. How, how did, how did yeah, you feel I, about I, that? Actually, I think that rant was also very bad. Um, I think the original rants in Ant Man were were better. Yeah, I agree. Um, like I feel, I feel fairly kind of aligned with the cultural consensus on Ant Man in a lot of ways because, like I like I do think it's it's pretty forgettable, um, you know, and and a lot of these Marvel movies kind of end up either in forgettable or like memorable territory, right? You know, it's like so for instance, I think like the early Thor movies kind of sit in forgettable. Um, excuse me, like the Iron Man sequels, like nobody remembers, nobody talks about Iron Man three, Age of Ultron. I mean, I love Age of Ultron, right? Uh, but Age of Ultron is is kind of forgettable in a way that like you know Guardians of the Galaxy right or I like Black Panther I bet won't end up this way I think Black Panther is, is the real deal. Um, I, I, so. mm, yeah no I, I see what you're saying I th I think Black Panther has other fact I, I don't want to talk about Black Panther anymore. Uh, <laughs> no it's because we like we've we've talked about it like. Uh, for a whole show. Um, no, yeah, I know. I mean, I, I just mean in the sense of, like, I feel like at the end of the year, maybe, right, like, everybody's going to be doing their, like, best of list. Black Panther is going to make that list for a lot of people, but Ant-Man and the Wasp isn't. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And so, um, I also think that when it, you know, so, and, and so, Ant-Man and the Wasp kind of has this problem, and there are some pieces of, like, I actually think Michael Douglas does a really good job here. He's kind of the only buddy that, he's, like, the only person that, like, showed up to play um, Evangeline Lilly is good with Michael Douglas, bad with Paul Rudd, I feel like. Um, and then a lot of the supporting cast, Walter Goggins, no boo, Bill Foster. Oh, you didn't, you didn't like Walter Goggins? Walton no, Goggins? I, th I thought, I thought all of this stuff, I mean, I think, I think Ant-Man and the Wasp gets a little too, um, 
big for its britches, narratively speaking. Um, it's juggling too many balls, and it ends up dropping them because of that. Um, I feel like it had sort of like one too many like counteracting forces, um, like that you could have either dropped Agent Wu, which I would not do because I kind of think that yeah, I think he was really good. Yeah, um, I like him a lot for a, a variety of reasons, but like you, you or you drop Walter Goggins or you drop the ghost thing, right? But like I don't know, man. I it just uh, it felt like there was a lot of stuff going on, and it was really pulling the plot apart at at its seams. Um, this plot doesn't make a lot of sense, or like. Okay, it does make sense, but there's a lot of contrivance to it. Yeah, um, no, the biggest I agree one with that. being the sodium pentothal. It, you know, the, that whole thing, right? Like, because if you listen to what he says, there's a bit of logos that explains why he's there. Where he's like, "Oh, well, I know Scott Lang is, you know, I know Scott Lang knows Hope Van Dyne and and Hank Pym, and you know, and I know you know." Scott Lang, but he doesn't know that Ant-Man and the Wasp have teamed up, right? Like, he has only ever seen the Wasp. He has not seen... Um, didn't didn't Ant-Man pop in at the end of uh, end of his fight with, uh, with, with Ghost the first time around when they're in his restaurant? Did he? Yeah, he, he should... He, that, that's the whole thing. It was like, I have to do something. It's like the whole Outtoid tin joke, right? Like, does, does the world know that Scott Lang is Ant-Man? Oh, oh, I see. That's a good point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, no, you're I mean, absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that is a good point. But anyway, but so he's literally there on like a fucking, like this, like a, like the barest lead, the best friend of a guy who barely knows this other guy, right? And it happens right as Scott calls Michael Pena, calls Louise and tells him where he is and where they are or whatever. And then on top of that contrivance, Ghost is there. <laughs> it's like Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. And like, and and Ghost sets herself up marginally better because first she's like, "I'm gonna go after the kid," and then Bill Foster's like, "No, don't do that." And he's like, "She's like, fine, there are other options or whatever." But like, so much of the plot hinges on essentially the coincidence of that whole setup moment, right? Because um, otherwise, Walter Goggins completely falls out of the plot, and arguably he probably should have. Um, and Ghost has no idea where or how to get back to the lab. Yeah, I, I, I feel like Ghost, the, the Ghost thing isn't as isn't as contrived just because it, it, it feels like you could just have her appear anywhere and be like, and she was Ghost, and so she ghosted. Um, and that works well enough for my yeah, it, it definitely Yeah, it definitely works better than Walter Goggins. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I just really liked the way that, that, that Walton Goggins' character um, hammed it up um, I just, I just really like the character. I, I I get the kind of like the the contrivance stuff that isn't isn't great, but I don't know I, I I like the character a lot. I, you know, yeah, I I want I, in a lot of ways I want to like this character. What I thought that they were going for initially, which I was really interested in, was a connection to God of all things, Michael Keaton's character on the East Coast because he's essentially doing the same thing and he's right, talking right. about the same thing. And I was so sure that he was going to do some kind of like name drop or he was going to talk about it in some way, and they completely like went over it and so i I got like weird like continuity blue balls because i was expecting the the same thing actually by the way happened where i was convinced that there was going to be a goliath versus giant man showdown between bill foster and ant man i was like how the fuck can you not do that after they do that like you know the measuring thing and then bill foster has his like evil 
you know, plot twist turn where he like walks in and they're all and they're all tied up or whatever. I was like, oh my god. And it, I, so I got like weird narrative blue balls from this movie. A couple yeah, no, of times. So, so I'm pretty sure is is Goliath a Marvel character? I'm, I'm not. Yeah, mis- yeah, 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 yeah. I am, Goliath is the guy that dies in. So Goliath is the is the guy that dies in uh, Civil War, kind of in place of Rhodey. Um, okay. When like the Thor clone goes crazy, he kills Bill Foster, and it's like a whole big deal. But yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's he's a real he's a real character. He's a real. Yeah, guy. sure. No, I, I'm, this seems to be like a. Uh, a War Machine-esque setup for the future where, like, he can, like, put on the suit and, like, get back to his old uh, his old habits when, like, the plot needs him to in, like, the next Infinity War or something. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I, def- I definitely see what you're, what you're saying there with, with these kinds of, like, missed opportunities... Okay, uh, so the other thing that I wanted to talk about is pathos. Um, so I've talked about I've talked about kind of like pathos, ethos, logos, right? These are details that you add in order to communicate very specific things to the audience. Pathos, you're communicating something emotional, right? You're trying to connect with the audience at an emotional level. Um, ethos is typically sort of like thematic or moral or kind of like ethical, right? When when Magneto says right that you know humans are going to destroy mutants and they're going to oppress mutants because they they sense their own impending evolutionary obsolescence right that is his that is his ethos uh and then logos are details to kind of smooth over the plot right when um when ghost says you know i'm gonna uh uh there are there there are other ways to to get at him or whatever that's a bit of logos that kind of explains the plot connection that allows her to show up at um louise's that like louise's place this movie was like wall to wall pathos and it drove me fucking nuts i feel like i'm more sensitive about this um than most people but i can get really pissed off about like emotional kind of like engineering in in movies like this is what kills me about you know like we were talking about this last week like this is what kills me about like bing bong from inside out is that like there was all of this pathos baked into the character that what that seemed it just seemed so obvious that they were trying to like force me to cry at his like inevitable death you know um and and so and i get very and so and so i get very standoffish about that kind of emotional engineering and i felt like this movie was almost entirely that kind of thing to the point where it lost me in places. Um, uh, like the first is the pathos between Hank. Like I said, I feel like Hank and, um, uh, fuck hope. Um, they, they were pretty good. And I really bought into the sort of the, the, the let's rescue my mom thing. Right. I thought, I thought that that was like fairly sort of solid. Um, but there was all of this stuff about like, oh, you know, we were in a relationship and then you got called by Captain America and didn't bring me with you or whatever. Like none of that stuff worked for me. Um, a little bit of the Cassie stuff, uh, a little bit of the Cassie stuff worked. But, you know, and then there was basically the entirety of Ghost's character who I, I just had such a hard time connecting with on any sort of level. Um and the frustrating part is that there is no ethos to this movie. There's kind of like this movie isn't about anything, which really frustrates me as a person who likes to find meaning in these things. Like I don't really think this movie has a theme really. 
Uh, I mean, that's not entirely like it's not entirely true because you kind of can't make a movie without it, ha it like ending up with one. But it's just like so bare and unintentional or whatever that I have a tough time with it. Um, so I don't know how you feel about that stuff. No, I I, I think I generally agree. Like th this movie is about rescuing his mom, their mom, mm -hmm. and or like you know like rescuing Michelle Pfeiffer, and that's like it. And like I don't I don't think that really comes out as like a a theme right like it's like like maybe yeah, like maybe you could make a case moms. Uh, like maybe you could make a case for like you should do the right thing regardless of whether the, there are con negative consequences to that right like there's a bit of that with like cassie and and uh and scott right like scott's like i need to stay here so i don't like get taken out of my daughter's life again um and cassie's like no you have to go be the good guy um yeah, I also yeah, think that hypothetically you could make an argument that this movie is very libertarian. And I don't know if you caught any of this stuff, but like the government in this movie is like simultaneously bumbling, bureaucratic idiots just getting in the way of everyone, you know, and stopping them from doing, you know, like doing doing their jobs and doing what they want to sure. do. But also a like sinister cabal of evil that corrupts that is that is you know inherently corrupt and 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 corrupts anybody that touches it from like kind of the Randall Park angle versus the ghost angle. Um, and I was wondering if there was something more kind of coming of that, but pretty clearly they didn't really care all that much about yeah. that angle. They just kind of wanted to use it to add a little bit of tension with like this you know Scott has to be in his house thing. Yeah, well I think that's the thing, right? Like Randall Park's character isn't really incompetent, right? Like. He's just kind of goofy. Like, he, he, never, he never does his job poorly. He just gets out smarted, right? Like, it's, it's not like he misses anything obvious. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, like, the evil aspect of the government's definitely there, right? Like, there's there's the corrupt agent who's, like, basically in the the, the, the Walton Goggins contact, which, which kind Ooh. of forces that last thing. Um, but, because, like, like... Like, I, I feel like part of the messaging there is, is that, like, you know, ultimately, Scott is is trying to, like, stick to this as best he can. It's like, you know, there are consequences per, to to uh, performing illegal action. I don't know. It just, yeah, it's I just mean, so weird. By the way, I do want to give this movie credit. I've been complaining for, like, five Marvel movies straight that there has not been a reckoning with Civil War, right? where we haven't seen the fallout from Civil War. And it's really frustrated me. Uh, but kudos to this movie for actually giving me that, right? Um, as much as I have been complaining so far about Ant-Man and the Wasp and what Ant-Man and the Wasp is doing, I think that adding kind of real consequences to um, the, the Ant-Man story because of Civil War is a, a good thing. Um, and it kind of helps me... I guess, like, digest. I was a little afraid, to be honest with you, that they were just going to do the, like, you know, because they were like, oh, you get off in, like, three days or something like that. And I was like, are they setting up a timer? Or are they just giving themselves an excuse for Scott to go back to being Ant-Man immediately? Um, and they were setting up, you know, like, they were setting up a timer. Yeah. Which I, was very, uh, which I thought was very good. So I do want to give those props while we're on it. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I um. The, another thing that kind of, like, you just kind of in the Scott personal life that bothered me a bit was, like, something that the first movie was actually pretty neat about was um, Paxton, the fiancé, was, like, this is very, in the first movie, it's a very atypical uh, kind of step-parent step, step -parent relationship. Usually, yeah. the step-parent's evil. In this one, it's, like, 
very much like he's a good guy and like Scott Tall appearances is actually kind of like like a well-meaning but bad father. Mm-hmm. Um uh and so like his character's more sympathetic and by the end of it like everybody's happy. But in this movie it's just kind of like he like gets in on like group hugs a bunch, which feels really weird. Um and and Judy Greer's character also feels kind of wasted, just her being like shrill, I guess. I don't know, like the like I felt like you could have cut a lot more of those two characters out of this movie. Yeah. Um, and not had it, had it, uh, I think in a way, I think in a lot of ways, um, the movie suffers from Edgar Wright, you know, like the, the original Ant-Man obviously was he, Edgar Wright was going to direct it and then he did not because the studio mandated that there was that, you remember there was that fight with the Falcon in the middle of Ant-Man, which I actually do think like, I think it's legitimately bad, um, in the context of that movie, like it is so vestigial. Um, yeah, I mean, to, to to the plot or whatever, but you know, like I kind of get that, right? Um, like, it, it, like I don't know. In the first, in that first movie, I would say that that scene is is basically nothing, um, and it's like, I, like, it's bad insofar it's untrimmed fat, but otherwise it's fine, right? Like it's yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, but so they at least had like the Edgar Wright script to go off of, um, and uh, and I think that's where you get stuff like the train fight in Cassie's room, which I think is is great, like. If there is stuff, like, because I do think, you know, Ant-Man is ultimately forgettable, but it, it does have some stuff going for it, right? You know, I do think that Paul Rudd sells himself in that movie, and I think uh, that stuff like the train fight at the end really works, right? The stakes of that movie, even though, and I, I typically complain about small stakes kind of thing, the stakes of that movie really work because, like, they do the groundwork to set up the relationship between Paul Rudd and Cassie, right? And, like... You know, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be the fate of the world or whatever. It is quite literally, you know, this is his last chance with his daughter, and if he fucks this up, he's never going to see her again kind of thing. Um, and they did a little bit of that same sort of thing in this movie, right? Um, but the stakes don't always pan they, – they just don't always pan out. Like, I don't want to call them bad necessarily because I think overall, because of the Hank Hope stuff, I feel invested in going and getting back, you know, Janet. Okay, that you can you can structure a movie about that sort of thing. But like the ticking clock that they add about halfway into the movie felt incredibly arbitrary. And you know what I mean? She's been waiting there for thirty years, and just now, it's you know the quantum whatevers are moving, and there'll be no way. To yeah, look her, you know what I mean. All the all that, that it just was so naked in in a way that it kind of um, it kind of frustrated me, and the relationship between that ticking clock and Hope and Paul Rudd because they were getting split up and stuff or or, or whatever, and there was like the the giant man stuff and they're throwing around the lab like it's a MacGuffin. Like first of all, is that lab like the most gyroscopically stable thing in the fucking world? I can't. I don't understand how that works. Oh, because um, it always, like, lands face up or whatever? It always lands face up, and they're, like, tossing it around, but it's not like they zone into the... Because think about it, right? The the stuff in the lab is all miniaturized, right? But is it, like, magnetically sealed oh, to see. the floor or whatever? Oh, how saying. come yeah, every yeah. time after they, like, literally are tossing it like a football, you know, and they zone in there, like, carts and, like, yeah, yeah. screwdrivers aren't, like, strewn about every which way? Um, <laughs> um, 
and so you know like stuff like that uh i you know and then, and then like walter goggins like the the stuff with ghost i thought didn't work the stuff with walter goggins i thought didn't work it was just kind of like very forced sort of like added tension um so it's kind of like a hit and a miss when it comes to like how invested I could get into the stakes of this movie. Yeah, I, I, I think one of the... First of all, I want to correct you because you've been saying it wrong this entire time. It's Walton Goggins, not Walter. Uh, just oh, really? Be, yeah. Wow. It's, 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 I, it, oh, fuck me. My uh, bad. Yeah, no no worries. It's <laughs> just... <laughs> Mr. Goggins, I'd like to sincerely apologize. Uh, uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, um, just to kind of, uh, like, your, your point, I, I think that, like, the problem with... Or not the problem. So the thing that this movie does, and I think that's what made the first one fairly interesting in my mind, is that this movie is, or ra rather, the Ant-Man movies aren't really about Scott Lang, right? Like, they're about Hank Pym. Um, but they're told through the, the Scott Lang lens, right? Like, you, you like this in a bunch of private conversations to, like, sing A New Hope through the lens of Chewbacca instead of through Luke. And I think that, like, you can make that work in a really interesting way. I thought that that's part of what made it... Man, when man one interesting but i do think it kind of falls flat on its face in this movie um and i think that that, that like trying to to hear that that format without kind of like doing anything interesting with it is part of why those kind of stakes don't feel like they're there because you kind of have to like import stakes in terms of scott and his daughter and this kind of like nebulous global like this, ne this nebulous larger stakes problem from walton goggins with like ah and then he's gonna sell tech to bad people which is like a much worse version of the plot from the first movie um yeah i mean the plot from the first movie right like that was like the, the an afterthought almost right like first it was about this guy i mean i one of the things i criticized the first movie for is off loading like so much of the dramatic tension right because Corey Stoll's character the yellow jacket character I think his name is like Darren Cross he yeah. has this like really like kind of like pregnant waiting to burst pimple relationship with Hank and with Hope that I feel like doesn't really like pay off or whatever right because he's this like scorned apprentice um and so uh and like kind of as a result of that the sort of stakes of like well he is about to make like you know, an Iron Man suit that is going to like really fuck with people, and that's and that's like a bad thing, and we shouldn't be using our technology, you know, like irresponsibly or whatever. That kind of, it, it, in a weird way, it almost works for me just because it is so. The movie doesn't try and trump it up. It is a thing, and it is a big part of Hank's motivation, right? But ultimately, the stakes in that movie revol resolve around Scott Lang being a dad, right? And I think that that's the kind of like the proper place for it sort of in a way um here it, it's almost like the opposite problem right where walter goggins or sorry the walton goggins name sunny birch are, if you're if you're curious the, yeah the sunny birch stakes are trying to be bigger than their britches right um and kind of like assumed i guess sort of like narrative weight right um, when when they shouldn't the same thing with ghost to be honest i mean i think at the end of the day ghost is probably the worst part of the movie i think i would prefer sunny birch over ghost yeah I, so i think there's a world in which the ghost character the, the problem is is that like the tension's supposed to be like she's going to die and you feel bad for her because of that and that kind of like motivates like why she's doing the things that she does but like 
like it's not enough of a, a like a plot point for you to be like oh like this, like if it's the core problem of the movie right like you could be like she's like an understandable villain right like that that makes sense but um it's they they go through such like like they they screw up all of like the kind of like tension around that because there's it's basically an open question whether or not her plan needs to succeed in order for her to live right like it's again you know obviously it gets resolved another way but like even before that happens like hank says to to bill foster you know we'll find a way after i get my wife back or whatever yeah. right like it is yeah, yeah, yeah it's definitely one of those things where it's like if these two people if you know what i mean like if these two groups sat down and just kind of talked for five seconds they would probably be working together right. do you know what i mean yeah and like i think this could work if like um like if the answer if if the conflict instead was you know this will kill janet but it definitely will save ghost and this is the only way right like you know you can still have this like thing at the end where like you know the uh, janet steps out of the quantum zone and magic fingers herself into, into curing her but like it is the the kind of like rigidity of the the contrast there is um is just like it's it's never established right like it, it's always seen as possible that maybe they don't actually need to do this and i, I think that's a problem like and I, I think maybe you could make it work if it was built more around sort of like a refusal to compromise like i think man of steel does this with zod right like at the end of the day zod and superman could have worked together in the sense of like if zod wasn't like a fascist piece of shit and thought of humanity as you know more than locusts infesting future krypton right like they probably could have worked together to bring you know kryptonians to krypton to uh to work but like zod is so un like utterly unwilling to compromise right that that kind of that that kind of solution is just frankly impossible right um but like part of the part of the the calculus of that is that in that movie zod gets absolutely zero pathos right he is a fascist piece of shit no one is supposed to have an ounce of sympathy for this right. guy whereas for ghosts she's all pathos right she sits down and monologues through teary eyes to the camera please please care about me yeah i'm so sad and pathetic and, and by the way not pathetic in like humiliated terms but pathetic in like literally feel for me right kind yeah of term sort of thing like i mean if there's anything that really lost me in that movie it is that moment because like I, I, I honestly laughed out loud in the theater because she's sitting there and she monologues to you like and she's expositing and i was like boy they really like brought this train to a halt <laughs> right because like you know they're sitting there um kind of tied down in their seats as she is like you know as she's just stopping any story momentum dead to like exposit to your face right and then there's like a flashback and i was like okay well at least now it's quick and it's over and then she comes out of the flashback and she continues monologuing and then she goes into a second flashback and i was like what no way and so that whole thing probably lasted like three and a half minutes or something like that but i just couldn't help but find it amusing because i was just like jesus christ are we really doing yeah. this whole thing um. <laughs> yeah and, and, and problems with that aside right like you could like you could make this plot work better if it is like it is literally like you know like this is Hank Pym's fault because Hank because that's the other thing right like it is never resolved like in in any way whether or not 
her um her like father being pushed out was like like Hank claims that he was a traitor um and she claims that he was jealous right like I think this is a much stronger story point yeah if- I was actually I, I I remember thinking at the time that that was cool and because I thought that they were building to something where Hank is kind of a piece of shit and he has to reckon for that a little bit um but that never that never paid off I mean I think the bigger version of that was the Bill Foster thing, right. right? Like, there's this kind of sniping between them, and I was like, oh, I get it. You know, like, Hank alienated this guy because he's, you know, like, a condescending piece of shit to this guy or whatever, and that's kind of the reason that he becomes the bad guy. And so, and I was predicting an ending like, you know, Bill Foster, giant giant man's, right? And he has figured out the Ant-Man technology um, on kind of like on his own, which like is simultaneously impressive to someone like Hank who thinks that he's a hack, right? Um, but also sets him up for this big fight with you know, um, with like Paul Rudd and like the Giant Man stuff or whatever. I, I really thought this was going a different way. Um, yeah, and, I, I, uh, and then that would kind of be resolved by Hank being like, you know what, I'm sorry, and he apologizes and like the plot resolves around that. Um, they did not go that way. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I feel like if they went that direction, you'd get a lot of criticism that, like, that's essentially the plot of the first movie, right? Like, Yeah, that's it, fair. It's her, just, but it, without Ant-Man stuff, it's Giant-Man stuff. stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I, I definitely, th- like, I, I think I ultimately agree with you, though, that, like, you can, like, like I'd rather have focused on the Sunny Birch plot um, and, like, maybe make ghosts like a like a much smaller thing right like rather like if you wanted to introduce ghost because maybe maybe that's a thing you want to do right like you like kind of don't have any of that expository stuff until like you just have her like i was super surprised but like you know like 15 minutes that not even that long like like right after we see her for the first time she like takes off her mask for the camera right like I was fully expecting her to be, like, an unknown quantity for, like, two-thirds of the movie until, like, you know, like, why is she doing this? Who knows? And then we find out, like, right before the plot resolves, like, oh, she needs to stop, like, disappearing and, you know, problems, right? Like, and then, and then you can resolve that as part of, like, the, the, the climax of the denouement or something. Um, but instead, they just, like, like you said, they, they front-load it real hard and it kind of takes away from it and... Splits the splits the plot too much. Uh, this was a problem with the first movie too. They try and do a little bit too much with everything, and so nothing really gets its due. Okay, um, are you ready for my like big fix for both of these movies? Uh, go you for just, it. You get you get, pull the POV off of Paul Rudd. It, it's funny because this was actually billed as a romantic comedy, right? Um, like they they were talking about it in interviews, like, oh well, Captain America: The Winter Soldier is a spy thriller, and Guardians of the Galaxy is spy or no, sorry, space opera, and and so and somebody was like, Ant Man and the Wasp is like a Marvel movie romantic comedy, and I and I actually kind of thought that was like cool, right? But the but the movie is too focused on Scott's point of view that we never get anyone else's, and for a movie that is called Ant Man and the wasp hope really doesn't get you know she's she's a very active character right and you could probably say that she is more of a protagonist than scott is in a kind of like structuralist right like she drives the narrative because the ultimate goal is to get janet right and 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 scott is a little ancillary for that or whatever but the pov character is solely scott lang right like we see all of them and their activity pretty much through Scott's eyes. There's a little bit of stuff where like they split up or whatever, but 
you know, at the end of the day. Whereas the traditional romantic comedy structure is that there is a male POV and a female POV, right? Where, like, you know, I mean, you're going to have to excuse me because I really like this movie. Uh, and it's, like, my romantic comedy go-to. But in the movie, you've got male, right? You simultaneously have... Um, Tom Hanks and his best buddy, who I'm pretty sure, by the way, is like a pre-Chappelle show, Dave Chappelle. I might be misremembering that. I haven't seen this movie in a long time. And he's talking about, you know, like all of this stuff. And then also Meg Ryan has her best buddy that she's like going through and, t you know, like talking about her, like put upon uh like romantic relationship and the and the narrative swaps back and forth between them right and they and they bounce together and then they bounce apart and then they bounce it together again but this time they're kind of more glued together and then drama happens or whatever that's like the romantic comedy structure right the, the it's, it's it's much more equivalent between the male and female characters and there's a lot more shifting of the pov between them uh but that never happened in this movie you know what i mean um and and so at the end of the day i feel like that is what that 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 robs um that robs a lot of the movie of some of this tension that is getting like kind of like off screened in a way yeah you know what i mean i i, I agree um just just to confirm for you dave Sh dave Chappelle does play kevin jackson and you've got mail yeah uh, dude i fucking knew it <laughs> um but uh yeah, I, I I I think I agree with you. Um, I think it's like especially like a lot of point of like having this even like maybe even more focused on, um, on the wasp just because like you know it's her mom right and like you know like that that dream is 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 uh, is is Janet looking to find hope. Um, I feel like that could have, I I feel like it could have used that perspective a lot better. Um. Yeah, I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. I don't think this was really a rom com though, right? Like, this was like a weird Marvel movie with some like incredibly unconvincing romantic tension. Um, it's not even romantic tension. It's like every once in a while they stop to make like a, a love joke and like have like Michael Douglas be like, "Will you guys stop making eyes at each other?" <laughs> um, <laughs> Because I actually thought that that wasn't a great part of the like like that was not a good part of the movie because this is literally all it was it was like them mildly pining at at them and Michael Douglas uh, at each other and Michael Douglas making fun of them for it. Um, yeah, yeah, there was absolutely zero romantic tension between them. Like it, that shit was dead on arrival. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, which sucks because you know, dude, fuck it, like. I like Evangeline Lilly a lot. I go to bat for Evangeline Lilly's character in The Hobbit all of the time. And listen, the romantic chemistry between her and whatever that fucking dwarf's name is is not great either. But, like, boy, is it at least, like, kind of there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, even in the first movie, I thought when they, like, made out at the end of the first movie, I was a little like, come on, like. And that didn't, yeah. you know, that they just really did not sell that for me. Well, it's, it's, it's because, like, you never really see her soften for Scott, right? Like, the, yeah. whole, the, the whole thing is, like, she is, like, a very serious woman, and Scott Lang is, like, a very goofball. And, like, like the, the normal kind of, like, like arc of this takes is, is, is um, you know, hope will soften, and, like, maybe, f and, you know, maybe Scott will get his shit together. Um, and, like, that's just, like, never like it happens but like only in like his like he only gets the shit together in the fatherly sense and she never really softens on him um and like yeah it, it didn't feel great like 
it, I think it was forgivable in the first movie because it was really just kind of like like a teasery thing, right? Like, yeah, and it was very much like an E plot, you know? Yeah. Like, it was yeah. it was so secondary to all this. I mean, I actually, th- so I do think that she should have been more of a POV character in that movie too, but precisely because the interesting dramatic relationship in that is Hank, his daughter, and Darren Cross, right? Because she has this relationship with both of them. Like, they all have different relationships with one another, right? Where she had a falling out with her dad, right? And was working for Darren and then Darren spooked her. So she went back to her dad and kind of like struck up this unlikely alliance. Like there's a lot of like, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in that, right? Um, yeah, like halfway through, they, the mo- halfway through the movie, Scott Lang comes out and says, I'm not important. That's what the whole point of this movie, like that, that that's yeah. why I'm doing this, right? Like I'm, I'm expendable, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I definitely, I mean, you don't even have, to, it doesn't even have to be a romantic comedy in order to do that perspective shift i'm really sorry that i'm about to do this but like i just know this movie so well even in something like man of steel man of steel is willing to drop clark out of the narrative for 10 minutes right you know the movie about superman just so that we can follow lois lane as she does her investigative trail to figure out who superman is you know what i mean um where he is an ancillary and a supporting character in her plot thread for about those, you know, for about those ten minutes in like in the first act, and there's just nothing along those kinds of lines. Like it's just too glued to Paul Rudd, and they can't get the camera, you know, out from behind his head. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 absolutely true. Because because I feel like you could like make the emotional like I think the emotional stakes with the mother work work a lot better with Michael Douglas than with with Hope. Yeah, um, I agree. Like I th- like. Uh, weirdly enough, I think the camera actually pulls, like, actually, like, gives us Hank's perspective a lot better than it does, ho- like, Hope's, which is, that's, 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 like, a kind of, like, a, a a weird, a weird thing that, like, like, it, it never, like, I think explicitly goes to Hank, but, like, um, actually, it I mean, it kind of does. does when he's yeah. in, the, in the quantum realm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, and, and the camera kind of is with Hope in terms of the like the Walter Goggins thing or whatever. Um, but the thing about that is that, um, but the thing about that is that Scott Lang is right outside and they keep cutting back to him. So even though like that is kind of hope scene and it's like also like her like action scene, right? Because, you know, she does that thing with the salt shaker and is like blowing yeah. stuff up and, and miniaturizing or whatever. Just all that, like all that stuff. Um, uh, it, 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 there's almost like I don't know in a weird way there's almost like this implicitness that like they had to have Scott in the scene because you know if he wasn't why you know like they're afraid that like the audience would be like why do I care kind of thing instead of like putting faith in the female you know she, her name is it, it is and the wasp right like yeah yeah <laughs> but really it's just Ant-Man kind of maybe a little bit of the wasp on the side Right, and, and like I, I don't, I don't think throwing Ant Man in there is is unforgivable in the first place. Cause I think it's just kind of like, you know, like the big he puts on the suit moment. Um, I think I actually would have liked it if they didn't go pick him up. Can you imagine a version of things where, like, I mean, they in a weird way they almost kind of like set this up, um, in like the way that he's doing like all this like work from home or whatever. But could you imagine a version of things? Okay, where. We're f- we do we do the thing with the slide with him or whatever, and then we cut to Hope and Hank independently going to get pick up this like part or whatever. Um, and then halfway through the fight, Ant Man shows up. Do 
you know what I mean? And then you yeah. backfill that somehow, like, oh, he's been using drones, or he, like, hacked Hank's I've, I've got, I've, I've got even because Hank never changed his password from the first movie. You know, like, something I've, like that. I've got a bit of, like, X-Con is doing security work for the, for Walton Goggins on the restaurant. That, like, oh, my God, yeah. And that, that would work, too, because that would, like... That would, like, maybe, like, give a better excuse for Walton Goggins to go hunt down Luis. Um, yeah, yeah. In the oh, the my film. God, you're right. Holy shit. <laughs> Not to mention, by the way, that whole, that whole thing with Luis completely dropped out of the plot um, with, like, the, well, I need, I need to get this, I need to get this job for, you know, my, my company, right? Like, yeah. So, like, on top of the ghost plot thread, on top of the Walton Goggins plot thread, on top of the Michelle Pfeiffer plot thread, on top of the Agent Wu plot thread, we're at four. We also have Luis and this meeting with, like, the off-screen company five fucking plot threads that we're like trying to juggle um and yeah that one falls out of the bottom they never resolve what ends up happening no they do they, uh, like the resolution is that um because because uh david desmalshian and ti tase those guys they are local heroes and that that's like he has a phone call at the end right? oh yeah yeah, yeah. So yeah he like gets I, a phone call from another from another business no from it's it's the it's the company right it's the oh. same it is the same company, but they're like, we're so impressed with, with how great you guys are that we would be in an honor to be in business. It, it's the same company. I was listening okay. for the name. Okay, but yeah. I was, because I was very confused about that because they name dropped it a couple of times. I kind of missed the name. I don't remember what the name is. And then they, the, like, there's like this night before and he's talking about, he's like, if I'm, if we're, if we don't do this by 9 a.m., we're, we're screwed or whatever. And then it kind of cuts and we're in the next day, but nobody is talking about that at all. Right? There's not even a, like, I'm supposed to, you know, like, Louise is, like, part of the action. I don't right. know. That was weird. Yeah. It, it, I think you could have fixed it easily, too, right? Like, just, like, have a moment where, like, Louise, like, like looks at, like, the plans and then, like, looks at, like, the fact that he needs to go help his friend and chooses to go help his friend because that's ultimately more important. Yeah, yeah, Right? Yeah, and and yeah. it doesn't really get that. Um, um, but, I like, you know, it... Um, I also thought that that the Ti and David Dustmalchin were, were were underutilized. I really liked the Baba Yaga stuff. I, that really played well for me. Um, yeah, in a weird way, I actually think that what's his face was uh, was funnier than Luis this time around. I don't know. I also thought Luis was a little bit racist last time around, though. Yeah. Uh, Which, to be fair, I was primed for because I read a Latino critic who hardcore panned that movie because he was like, Luis is like fucking like a minstrel show, and I'm pissed about it. Um, so, uh, yeah. uh th there, there's a little bit of me walking into it with that assumption, uh, or whatever, but... Yeah, uh, uh, so, um, I, 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 I think... No, I think just, he's better in this movie. Just, just right. to detour into that thing a little bit, I, I think that's a hard thing to do, because if... I haven't watched a ton of, of, of Michael Pena's comedy, but, like, I believe that's, like, part of, like, what he's, what he is, right? Like, a, a lot of, a lot of, um, like, uh... It's it's like a stand up rule. Like you have to point out what's different about you and like kind of make fun of. It. Like this is like the the Carlos Mencia bit, where like part of your bit is talking about like the the the, the kind of uh what's the word I want to use? Like the 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 things about your culture that can be interpreted funnily, right? Um, and I think that that's part of Michael Pena's bit. And so I feel like if he hadn't done any of that, it there wouldn't be any need for him to be Michael Pena there, right? Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen, I haven't seen the, um, 
I haven't seen the movie in a while and I don't quite remember. I feel like it was in like one of the one of like the um, like him explaining stories. That was just like a little bit because I like Michael Pena a lot. Like you know, David Iyer, who's the guy that directed Suicide Squad, and Bright had a movie called End of Watch from 2011. That's a really good movie, and one of the reasons that I was that I thought Bright was going to be good. Um, and Michael Pena is one of the characters. You know, like it's a white guy and it's a Latino guy, and they're and they're cops in in L.A. Um, and uh, and like in that one, in that one, in a way, is sort of the same thing. Because he's kind of like a fast-talking, he's like the funny man. Jake Gyllenhaal is kind of more serious and straight, um, you know, and, and played straight or whatever. But the, in in that context, it just felt more natural, I guess, yeah. um, than it does in this context, which feels, I don't know. Yeah, it's no. not even like, and it's not even like Rhodey or somebody who's kind of like an ethnically neutral black best friend, right? It's not like Rhodey's ever, you know... Like he could, that could have been a white guy, right? And there's right. there's really no difference, and that's fine, right? Like he doesn't have to like you know he doesn't have to parade around his black blackness or anything, um, but uh, but I don't know, yeah. That the, the, I I just remember it because that film critic literally was like he was like one of the only people who who uh, I think gave it a rotten on Rotten Tomatoes because he was just so fucking pissed about Rui. Yeah, no, I, and and you know when when I rewatch, I can definitely see that interpretation, but like. Uh, it's, uh, I, I feel like I feel like there's, there's there's kind of a trap where like, you know, if you never kind of include any of this stuff, at what point are you just kind of like whitewashing everybody, right? Yeah, like yeah. it's it's it, it, it's it's a fine line to walk. Um, yeah, I feel like this one was better about it. Um, also, because I think like, I I also think Rui, Louis participating in the narrative um, uh, in this one was a little bit better. Um, than like kind of the bumbling heisters of the first one, in a way. Yeah, I mean, I like. I, I part of what I think sells the the first one to me more is that the heist structure was a little bit better and more interesting than this like let's try and juggle fifty fucking plot threads and like not succeed at it. Um, but uh, I feel like for Luis specifically, I like Luis when he's kind of this like unlikely hero that's you know trying to help his buddy out um, sort of thing than. Um, I, I guess then, then whatever he was in the first movie. Yeah, um, I, I, I get that. Um, I don't know. I, I like them in both. You know, I, I like, I like, I like the crew just because I think, I think the group. I don't know. I'm a big fan of David Desmolshian too, right? Like, it's seeing his range from like being like weird Russian hacker in the Ant Man movies to being like that creepy dude in Blade Runner 2049. Um, just like his range has always impressed me. Um, and, and he really, like, I don't know, I feel like T.I. is criminally underused in both of these movies. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, uh, I, I don't know, I, I don't really have a lot else to say about this movie. Um, it's, it's, yeah. it's it, I, is, it is, it is, it is ultimately forgettable, I think. It is ultimately, it is, I would be really surprised if somebody were to come back and be like, yo, this is my favorite movie of the year. Yeah. You know what I mean? I um, think Ant-Man and the Wasp will be relevant insofar as that mid credit scene is relevant. Oh, uh, yeah. So do you want to talk about that real quick? Sure. I uh, do think that mid credit scene is pretty good. I didn't expect it, but I thought that that's, like, sort of interesting. Yeah, yeah. He's trapped in the quantum. Like, I wonder how, like, obviously the plot point is going to be, like, they like pull like like somebody has to pull him out of the quantum zone at some mm. point. Yeah. Um, who that is, I don't know, but that, that is neat that he's that he's caught down there. 
I also think they might be giving him quantum powers. Um, yeah, I, can I was see thinking that. about that with like Michelle Pfeiffer coming out with these quantum powers or whatever. I feel like that's the kind of direction that they're that they're going. Yeah, it, it could with. it could be that. It could be that like that's the mechanic by which they figure out how to like un- like how to go back in time without the time stone, right? Like there's a throwaway line about how time works differently down here. Yeah, yeah, from Janet. Although apparently it doesn't, because she ages exactly thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, uh, but um, you know, I I, f- I figure that there's 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 gonna be like like Ant Man being in in the quantum realm is going to be important to the plot of Infinity War two in a more significant way, other than somebody has to go pull him out of the quantum zone. Oh wait, so you think he's going to be significant to Infinity War two? Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. I see. I was thinking that this was kind of still spun off in its own plot thread, and that like the Ant Man three, I guess, is is like how do we get is it you know is we need to get Ant Man out of the fucking quantum realm. Oh, I so, see. Yeah, but that but that I actually I think yours makes a little more sense. I don't know. I don't know what I think about it because he wasn't well, in the first Infinity War, but like so many people like quote unquote died in the second Infinity or in the first Infinity War that like. Maybe, because I because I was expecting Infinity War two to sort of be a um, uh, to be a like like a like a greatest hits of the original Avengers. Like they were gonna pull Hawkeye out of retirement. All of the main Avengers, Black Widow, Hulk, uh, Cap, Iron Man, Thor are are up and running. So I felt like they were gonna get the original of those guys back together for like their sort of like swan song. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. What yeah, I mean, about it. man, well, that's interesting. I, we also know that like, um, like uh, Captain Marvel is going to be a big part of Infinity War two, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I expect I expect Captain Marvel, and like it might not be a huge deal, but I expect that to be like an important mechanism in Infinity War two. We'll see. Um, and like that's why I think that's the only reason why anybody will remember this movie is before that scene when like you know the plot device has to come out infinity war 2 uh or something um yeah i can see it being something like he's like quantum entangled with like both like with the universe where like oh i bet you i could see some i could be something like where like like scott lang is somehow in a unit in, in in both universes where like I guess he's being like a like like a like kind of like Schrodinger's box type experiment. Where there's two parallel universes, one with half people dead and one with the other half of the people dead. Oh, interesting. That would be interesting. Yeah, yeah like yeah. Th- that is a total pull out of like left field. But I can see that being like the thing that somehow he's in both universes and they use that as a mechanism to like port people over or something. Um, but we'll see how that goes. Um, I don't really think I've got anything more to say about this movie. Do you? Uh, nope. I feel like we covered it. Um. In that case, uh, how was your week? Uh, my week? Boy, how was my week? I guess my week was pretty good. Uh, I haven't been doing much except for playing Total War, um, cleaning up Mage Towers in World of Warcraft. I, 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 have a, I got a couple more um, since last time we talked. I, I have almost all of my like bonus appearances uh, in, in, in WoW. Um, but, uh, but yeah, otherwise it's just been really fucking hot in L.A. and I just want to die. I'm sorry. That sounds not great. <laughs> what, what have you been up to? So I've been playing a bunch of different games. Uh, I picked up a bunch of stuff on the Steam sale. Um, 
what I want to talk about. I want to talk about first. I want to talk about uh, Endless Space Two, just because I haven't put a ton of time into that, but that game's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been kind of playing it on and off in spurts. It's interesting and kind of it's um, the way everything kind of just works out. It's a little bit like more free, for, like less travel is a little bit more rigid. Like you only really like go to systems and move along. Uh, pass in between them until you unlock a late game technology you colonize galaxies it's kind of similar to stellaris in that way um the something that i think is really cool is because all of the races are set they all have a lot of character to them like um the lumeris who i've been playing as are basically the space mob um and like the uh the the empire is basically the empire of man um kind of like in its heyday um uh, from like Warhammer 40k, there's very like clear similarities there. There's Ooh, a race. Um, there's a race of uh, of called the Horatio, which is one guy who cloned himself a bunch, um, and so they're all Horatio, uh, which I think is 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 a pretty neat, pretty neat concept. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> um, and there's like there's this like like very like like Zergish uh, called like the. It's, it's got some i forget what the name is but they like they're basically like the swarm of insect people that exist to destroy everything um and i i think it's 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 neat um i haven't gotten my full head around the mechanics yet i restarted a couple of times because i just didn't understand how things went um uh i need to maybe watch a couple more tutorials but it's a neat thing and i think it's worth checking out um uh the bigger game i want to talk to talk about is uh seven the days long gone have you heard of this game Nope, not that I can think of. Yeah, no, I had never heard about it. I hadn't heard about it at all until I saw it in, like, one of my feeds on the Steam store. It is this really fascinating game. It is a, uh, it's like a top-down RPG, um, uh, where, like, you're playing as this guy who's, like, a a thief that is trying to, like, do something. It is, man, the the world's really interesting. Basically, it's, it's like a post-apocalyptic society, so... What is happening? Let me start it over and kind of like lay out this plot. Um, humanity existed for a while, reached a pinnacle of technology. Part of this involved like inviting demons into the world and living with them coexisting, living with them peacefully for a while. And there's a conflict between them, and everything kind of goes post-apocalyptic-ish. And then like a, a kind of like Christ figure rises and reunites society, and that's kind of where we are right now, right? Like okay. human is, humanity is on its ascendancy again. Um, and, uh, and the, uh, the, uh, you're the, the player character, um, is kind of a thief in this kind of very cyberpunky, um, it, it's, it's kind of Shadowrun and feel, um, there's a very cyberpunky world. He gets sent to a penal colony, um, to do something for, like he's, he gets bound with a daemon and sent to the penal colony to like find some important information and it's kind of open world and goes from there. Um, it kind of reminds me of like Elex or The Witcher. It's got like that same kind of like The Witcher one. It's kind of got like a, a, a quite a bit of Eurojank in there. It's by it's by uh, 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 a Polish studio, um, and like the game might be a little bit too easy. I found I can get through things by just kind of like running past people, um, but the systems are all really neat in there. And like if you choose if if you engage with them, it's actually some really compelling gameplay because it's like half stealth, half, like, action combat type of game. Um, 
and it's it's just really fascinating. I'm I'm really enjoying playing through it. Um, nothing's really explained enough in terms of like how the mechanics work, and you just kind of like bumble your way through it. But that's part of the fun. Um, and then like sometimes there's just bugs where things don't work. Um, but like it's good enough that I like I keep want to I want to keep playing it, and it feels very open in terms of like how you can solve things too. I'm really excited for like the next like the the uh, like the 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 version two or version three of this game, right? Like if if it ever hits that kind of ascendancy that that the Witcher series did, because um, it's it's just fascinating and, and deep, and and I, I have to recommend it to everybody who kind of like if you like open world RPGs and have tolerance for kind of like be at like kind of like BS with running the game, I I I highly recommend it. It is um, one of the gems I've I've found out of out of the Steam summer sale. Um. Yeah, no, this actually looks hella interesting. Um, just as I am looking at like the Steam, uh, the Steam page for it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Holy shit! What a what a game. Yeah. What a what a, what a find. <laughs> um, other things I have been uh playing. Um, I play a little bit of Holdfast Nations at War. This is a Napoleonic era shooter. Um, which, wow. Yeah. Um, and it is like, like, it is early access. Um, uh, so, you know, you know, it don't hold your breath too long. It's not nearly feature complete, but like, it's, it's got the whole, like you shoot, the guns are inaccurate. It takes like, like a minute to reload, not a minute, but it takes a long time to reload your gun. Um, uh, very mobile shots are like really deadly. Like usually you kill with one shot. Um, and, uh, uh, the game just kind of like. So, it's neat because so the way the game is supposed to work, I'm pretty sure, is like you you play fairly organized and people like you get people to line up in like uh, in rows like they did in, like in that era and like fire volleys at each other and that's how the game works out. Um, but at least on like the public servers I was playing on, it kind of plays out like COD eighteen twelve, um, uh, where people are just kind of like jumping around and trying to shoot each other, um. And it's incredibly goofy. And I like it is like a swarming mess on the battlefield. And I'm really looking forward to getting ser more serious and getting like tighter and pulled together and like being like a real version of this game. But I'm still enjoying like how like incredibly derpy the game is um, on its face. You just kind of like one of the classes is flag bearer and having your flag out like I think lets people reload faster. Um, but you can also kill people with the fucking flag. And it's, like, one of the most effective melee weapons in the game. So you see these people, like, hopping around the battlefield with, like, flags, like, swatting at people with, with, with their, with their like, giant English flags. Um, and and it's, it's, it's also, like, 100-person battlefield. So it's, it's, it's just goof, good, goofy fun. I don't think I can recommend it to anybody as it is, but it's, it's, I've, I've been enjoying it. Um, and then kind of the last thing I have been playing is I play a little bit of... Uh, Bullet Storm full clip edition just because it was on sale and I wanted to check it out. Just wanted like a dumb arcadey shooter to goof around with. Um, it's definitely dumb and goofy and arcadey, but you can tell its age because like, like it's the the run button is on A, and the crouch button is the left click, which I think was like the older style. But I'm so used to like sprinting being on the click that and that. When I try and play the game, I'll just end up crouching, and it just screws me up so bad. Like, man, like it's it's it's, it's super super uh, 
super interesting to kind of like feel how like games have progressed since then. But hmm. that, that that's yeah, yeah 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 I get that I get that. Um, but that's kind of been everything I've been I've been playing this week, um, along with uh, some player unknowns battlegrounds and some Victor Vran. I don't need to go over those again. I don't think. Um, oh oh, one thing I do want to mention. I played a bit of Fortnite again, just to kind of like, I've I have as as I have gone on uh, watching a little bit more of this stuff is I've I've come to greater appreciation to the skill involved in, um, being able to build build uh, areas rapidly and, and what that all entails and how the game plays out that way, and I think I I really do appreciate like the level of skill that goes in there, but I I I just find that i don't like i don't like the gunplay and i i'm not good at the building i don't find it particularly compelling for me um and so while i appreciate the game more i don't think i i, I like it any better than i did you know the last time i tried it i uh have not done any of Fortnite, so i don't have any thoughts on it i guess <laughs> <laughs> well, i you... actually i i want to keep my uh, my you know there's a certain like knee-jerk like I don't know. There's, there's always going to be a knee-jerk reaction in a way to um, it's something like that that like seems kind of kitty and new, and it's a riff on a game that I do like, you know, like PUBG or whatever. Um, and and so I I'm trying to counteract that a little bit and keep a more open mind for when I do finally eventually um, get my get my act together and play some Fortnite. I mean, it's like the most popular game in the world now, right? Yeah, I don't know if it still is. I think it was starting to fall off, but, you know, yeah, basically. Okay. It's it's still it's still super popular. Um, not much else I can really say about it, though. Um, yeah. Uh, Fair enough. Have you been, have you been, like, watching anything? Uh... Nothing that I can really talk about as like uh, as a series. I've just been watching like random YouTube videos still, and nothing different. So I can't even like give you more real, weird channels do you, to do watch. Do you have like a do you have like an end of um do you have like an end of month like smorgasbord of YouTube to watch? Uh, not end of month. I just kind of like watch it every day. I watch a lot of YouTube. No, I mean, I watch a lot of YouTube too. Like typically, the first thing I do is I go to my subscriptions and I watch everything in there. That's like new or whatever um but like a lot of the people that i like pledge to on patreon or whatever they do monthly videos and they almost always get it out like on the 31st oh I like see the what you're 30th saying. so pretty unanimously at the end of a month I, I have like you know that's when the good shit is i have like 10 you know 10 or 15 uh like big videos from creators i like to watch yeah no i i don't i don't have that problem i don't i don't back a ton of YouTubers that kind of work in that format, um, I don't know. Uh, gotcha. No, I no, I feel that. Yeah. I feel that. Um, yeah, cause and I also think that like, you know, I like the longer form stuff. Like, you know, like H Bomber guy puts out big videos that are like half an hour plus or something along those sorts of lines. Uh, but it's hard to do that kind of momentum with, like, maybe I guess Jeff Thu does a pretty good just in terms of like minutes because a lot of his videos are like 10 or 15 minutes yeah, long, yeah. Um, but he does a couple of them per month like he just did one on did you see his one on Yu-Gi-Oh? yeah i didn't watch it but i, I did see i did see it i, I watch like he, he's pretty consistent about getting like a video out a week at least 
Yeah. Um. um so. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. It's funny because I mean, by the way, uh, it, it's funny because there are some people who are weekly. Like, there's a guy called Patrick H. Willems, and um, and he puts out a video a week, and uh, and he actually put out two videos. I think last week because he watched Jurassic World and he liked it and he wanted to talk about why he thought it was good. And I was like, who oh boy, what are you doing? Did what you, are you doing? Do, did, do. did you drop your Patreon donation? Uh, I do not, I did not sponsor him on Patreon. Uh, so did, I didn't have to withdraw my, I didn't have to withdraw my money. Did you unsubscribe? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't, uh, no, I did not unsubscribe. Yeah, yeah. He, he's actually kind of interesting. I, I kind of respect him more than I agree or like his content in, in sort of a way that I do with like, like YMS in a way, um, because he, uh, he he just has like a lot of opinions that I don't like and that I think are dumb and stupid and bad. Um, and he also uh, so, but but one of the interesting things is that he's like, okay, like video essays are like the thing on YouTube, right? A whole bunch of people are doing them, um, but I think we could be doing more. And so one of the things that he does is he tries to make his video essays like cinematographic in a way that other people don't um so like he lives in new york so very commonly he'll like bring a microphone out and he's like walking down the brooklyn bridge as he's like monologuing at the camera about his whatevers um and there is something that is cool about that in a way that like you know watching whatever nerd sit in front of his nerd backdrop and monologue to the camera is kind of static um I don't know. That's interesting. And he does, and he does like some cameras. Of, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Like sometimes he has these little framing devices that I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ, get to your point, you know. Um, and then, but like sometimes, you know, I I'm like, wow, like he 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 goes above and beyond. So I don't know. <laughs> eh, neat. Um, do you want to talk about any of the recent uh, Pathfinder Two E reveals that we've gotten? Oh, what ha- yeah, what have we gotten? What was the most recent one? I don't know that I've seen whatever the Friday reveal was. The Friday reveal was was, was Hazards, which I think are neat but relatively oh, yeah, simple. Okay. I did not look at that. I did look at Ranger. Yeah, I was going to say, what do, you, what do you think of the fact that base Ranger is spellless? I like that a lot. Um, I, Ranger is one of my favorite classes, and it's like one of my favorite archetypes, but I don't like spells on Rangers. I think spells on Rangers are a little, um, uh, I guess, just outdated I, at, at this point. And so um, the version of Rangers that they talk about where rangers are using magical abilities and using spell points, I think is more appropriate. I guess. Well, that that that's like maybe in the future the uh, the the version that's going to be in the playtest is like pure spellless. It's wait, he oh I thought that so that's not going to be in the playtest or the spell spell the point spell points are like a potential future thing, not for the playtest. Interesting. I did not realize that. Uh, okay. Wow. That that is interesting. Yeah. Like I mean, I think like the trap stuff that they were talking about is is neat though it all seems underpowered to me um like i feel like you need to have big buy-in from from a trap or something like that because it kind of requires you to it is so anathema to the typical uh the typical way that people adventure in dungeons that unless you can like throw out traps on the fly which you know maybe you could like if they use those kinds of numbers nerfed them a little bit but like a trap was like something that you could do sort of where it's just an action, you know, you pull out a trap and you throw it, and then the next time somebody steps on that square, they get, like, bear trapped or something, you know, whatever it is. Um, 
I would feel better about it. But because it takes like a minute to set up or however long sort of thing, you know, the payoff to that has to be fucking huge, I feel like. Because yeah. the way that you adventure is you walk into like the enemy almost always has home field advantage. Yeah. They they there is apparently a feat that Rangers can take that let them uh put it out in like one round or one action or something. Like that's like a late later game uh Ranger feat. Well, this is this seems to be it seems to be the snares for Rangers are a less mandatory version of like what alchemy is for alchemists, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody kind of has access to it, but like they can really take it to the next level. But it feels to me like this this new ranger is going to be almost have more in common with uh, the um uh the, the 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 what was the name of the the, the combat the slayer. rope the, the slayer. slayer yeah the slayer than than the old ranger of old. I do like the fact that they've pulled off the favorite enemy i've talked before about how i think it's bad design yep um and i like this this hunt this this hunted target stuff um i think a big part of this all is we need to kind of see all the pieces together and hopefully we'll get a look at that soon um i just got uh like order confirmation from paizo about uh my playtest book so hopefully i'll have access to the uh the uh the what's it the the pdf at some point um before before we, we get to gen con but who knows yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I I I I'm I, like the ranger is is the one I is is oddly been the class I've I've had the most pause for, even though it's done a lot of the things that I like the best almost. Right, like, like it, they've kind of done all the changes I thought it needed, but it it on the other side kind of feels like like a different type of fighter weirdly or like you know, like it, instead of being like this kind of nature warden that it's always kind of been um and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in practice yeah i i am uh the one thing that i that i get the feeling about with all this 2e stuff is that they are kind of pulling a bait and switch on us um in certain respects because they they talk about class features and are like look at this class feature this is how it works but if you really want it to lurk work you better get to level 17 and i'm just like dude fucking nobody is gonna get to that point um and so like i it's in a way in a way i almost wonder if there's gonna be like a backlash to this because like in a way they keep talking about stuff and they're like oh this is how this is how it works and um and this is the you know these are the numbers um and if you really want those numbers to take off you have to get to you know an obscenely high level and part of me is like okay great this game is finally balanced but i almost wonder if something about the imbalance is what draws like the captain crunch to the game yeah like because there is so clearly a way to power game it you know yeah like there's like pathfinder gets very rocket taggy at later levels and like maybe the response is instead to just lean into it instead of uh, instead of trying to pull it back. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Like five E, I can tell you from experience, does not feel very rocket tagging, and I'm very happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just am worried. Like I'm worried that I won't be able to do the cool things um, until too late into the game. Like part of the point of the criticisms I have of five E is like it feels hard to be like unique in 5e from like a from like a mechanical perspective like part of Mm -hmm. the thing that i think drives a lot of pathfinder engagement is kind of the ability to express yourself through mechanics yeah um 
And I think that it looks like we're going to get a lot of that. So I, the, my fear for 2E is that we will have kind of like the ability on paper to do all of that, but in practice, it won't feel so different. Um, and that might be a problem, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, I mean, something I was thinking about was um, sort of like the interactions between um, like simplicity and complication and expression. Because in some senses, I do like a certain simplifying of the game. Like Pathfinder is pretty like complicated and like the barrier to entry, it's like really high and everything along those lines. Um, and I like that, you know, you can make a character like Colbjorn, which who had a very straightforward build, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I feel like if you were to t ask any brawler what their build should be, it would, it's pretty easy to fall into that kind of like, I do a lot of trips and I do a lot of punches um, sort of, uh, sort of build. But I don't know. I, I, I do kind of wonder where and how those kinds of things are uh are gonna work right like like in a certain sense like a card game right like um power level of cards is oftentimes not defined by a card itself like there's some like you know dr boom right it's just a singular powerful card right he, he brings nine nine in stats right deals four damage to to enemies with these like boom bots or whatever like that's just like a big power play right um, but a lot of the time, the power of a Hearthstone deck comes from synergy, right? The way that two cards work together. Um, like, two cards create value with one another. And there's a certain sort of thing like that in Pathfinder, right? Like, every feat that I take that is a trip feat empowers my other trip feats. And so you get this kind of, like, synergy sort of thing that I, that I almost feel like 2E seems to be stripping out of the game in a lot of ways because like there aren't like long feet chains and i wonder how many feats are going to modify um like modify certain things you know what i mean yeah I, i'm i'm also curious like part of this effect is definitely that it is a uh like we have what 10 years of of, of splat to throw on yeah. top of um base pathfinder and like i think a lot of like that later stuff um is is what enabled a lot of this kind of feeling and i wonder if We'll eventually get there with 2E. And not only that, but I also wonder if um, they were, like, I wonder if, like, this is kind of like the, like the, one of the things I've, I've heard that I kind of agree with is, like, if you released Vanilla Well now, it could not compete with um, World of Warcraft as it exists now. Well, we'll see how that, how that particular scenario plays out in a while. But, um, uh, like, I, I have to wonder if Pathfinder 2E ends up, falling into a hole for a while just because it doesn't have the volume of content that pathfinder yeah. one has and that's a lot of a lot of why people like playing pathfinder one yeah yeah i uh i i totally feel that the other thing i wonder about um a little bit is uh, I, I, was, I was talking about this with somebody else recently but i kind of like wonder what you think about it is like the 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 temptation for pathfinder to stop like eccentricity and extravagance and eh, those are kind of like wrong words um but in a way where it's like um i feel like the most efficient way to play pathfinder in a lot of cases is just to sit there and auto attack right um 
and that doing stuff is typically less valuable because of the way the game theory like works out right right so for instance if i want to like try and add 1d6 to my attack or whatever by like vaulting over a table and being cool or being badass or something like that well now it's not i don't just have to hit the attack roll i have to hit an acrobatics check and if i flub the acrobatics check i can't make the attack and when you do and and that and that's like a common system sort of thing right where you kind of like stack on extra um extra sorts of uh things and they and they're but they're all kind of like linchpins right like if you flub any of these rolls your whole maneuver sort of fails and we have had house rules that counteract this right action points um hero points or whatever they're called for like marks games or whatever that are built around okay if you want to take a limited amount of time and just be like a real badass for a second do something out of the box right that would typically be really hard but we'll kind of work with it um this is a system that we have in place for that. But I wonder how much of like Pathfinder, how much of these RPGs are kind of ham hamstrung because of that, you know, inability to do cool shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. Cause I feel like if, if it was like, there are other, like, um, seven C is really good at being cinematic if you want it to be. Um, but I feel like, I feel like there's almost like a, it feels better to coerce a strict system into doing the cool things you want it to do than just have a system that's open enough to let you do cool stuff, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that this, like, I, I, I feel like what they're trying to do with 2E, and hopefully it's successful, is peel back the kind of, straight better like the, the the straight superiority of kind of doing the simple thing so that it doesn't like it's not as so that you are freer to do the cool thing without feeling like you're giving up stuff um and i think i think you're ultimately right in part of that but i think that like that seems to be an active design goal of 2e is to, is to kind of get rid of some of those incentives yeah yeah i definitely think that that's true and it's funny, you know, I, the reason that this came up is because we were talking about combat in the context of WoW RP, right? And ha and WoW RP functions almost entirely the opposite of that, where you're you're not constrained by rules of any type, but like there's kind of like a, you know, there's like a line and cross. There's a GM, right? And there's a line, and then there's like crossing that line in in a certain sort of way, right? Where like you are, everyone is trying to play curling or something like bocce ball with their um uh with their power where you're trying to be as powerful as possible without going over the power line and like be, having somebody be like no that's bullshit you can't do that kind of thing right um but the thing is is that the worst kind of wow rp when it comes to combat because it's text right like you're writing text on a screen is when somebody just goes he swings his axe you know? right like you want to be using the environment you want to take a guy and bust him through a wall or something like that, right? Or, you know, you, you parry an attack so that you can punch down at, like, the sword and and crack it or dent it or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you, you want to be doing something unique and interesting. And the responses that are good, right? Like, good combat that gets rewarded is when you are clever, right? And when you – you know, like, so, for instance, the other day um, I was doing a thing with Tonric – where he was trying to kill this like orc 
And so he rushed at the orc as she opened up this big stone door, pushed her head out the stone door, and then closed the door on her head so it squashed like a watermelon or something like that, right? Like, that is a much more interesting kill than, like, I swipe at it with my sword and it gets cut in half. Um, but it, but the thing is, is that when I took it that sort of framework and I apply it to Pathfinder, in a lot of ways, Pathfinder wants you to swipe at it with your sword and cut it with cut it in half. If you tried to do that thing where you squash somebody's head in a big stone door, it would be a lot harder, I yeah. think, to get the kill. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I think part of that is, like, it, it, so the stone door is less of a problem because, like, there's not, like, a stone door in every encounter. But, like, yeah. part of this is, like, if you can generate this stuff on yourself, right? Like, I think a good example of what you're talking about is, like, a very flashy sword move or an axe strike that, like, while ultimately could have been summed up as I swung my axe, is, like, mm -hmm. done with enough narrative flair um, that it's cool. Or, like, maybe you do something that, like, you know, you think of, right? Like... I, like, springboard off of, like, my ally's shield, and that gives me enough kind of, like, lets me do, like, this really great, like, down chop axe attack that's, like, really yeah, spectacular, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, that kind of shit. Yeah. yeah, and that's really cool. The problem is, is if that does better damage than your standard axe swing, every combat becomes I bound off of my uh, my ally's shield and do, like, the, the, down, the down chop. Yeah. Um, which is, like, it's this weird balancing act I'm not quite sure how to solve, because, like, I think the reason it works out in WoW RP is, like, it's cool, but it's not like, it's not like, you know, you're upgrading your damage dice or anything, right? It's all much more abstract than that. And, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and because, like, kind of, like, you are rewarded for being narratively cool, repeating yourself isn't narratively cool. And so that, like, that's a self-balancing factor, right? Yeah. Um, And so you kind of have to have, like, you have to have to have, like, the, like, you want to reward the cool stuff, but... Not in a way that makes it the thing that you want to do every single time, which is weird because, like, you can think of, like, iconic, like, one of the iconic examples from the comics is, like, the fastball special, right? Like, Colossus throwing Wolverine. Right. Um, and, like, that's a cool thing that is, happens enough that it's a signature move, but if it happened in every comic, you'd be like, stop doing the fucking fastball special. Um, and, like... I feel like it's, like, because, you know, a comic book writer is writing a story and doesn't have to, like, try and win comic books, he can, like, pace that out enough. But, like, I feel like if you were, if you built in the fastball special into path into Pathfinder, you'd have characters who built to do that and everything, they'd, they'd always be doing the fastball special. And it yeah. would quickly get tired. And I don't know, I don't know how to balance that. Like, I don't know if I have a good answer for that. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe the answer for that is to build it into the system with limitations, like, once per day, right? But, like, even that feels, like, constraining in a way that, like, it's not meant to, you know what I mean? I don't know. It's tough. It's a tough thing to, it's a tough thing to answer, but I don't know. It was just a thought that I, it was just a thought that no, I No, no, like, it's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating, because, like, if you can build those things off of interactions with the environment, right? Like, there are doors places, but I don't, like, it's not, like every fight is going to have a stone door for you to slam somebody's head in, right? Like, like, right, yeah. like that stone door thing is like, like, you know, is a thing that like, you know, maybe every time you, you see it, you go for it, but it's rare enough that like, that could feel fine, right? Like that would, like it, it would happen with enough frequency to be like a thing that your character gets known for, but not so frequently that it becomes like a problem. Right. Um, I think it's really that like, any of like a lot of this cool stuff that you can self that you could self generate doesn't lend itself to like not being driven into the ground basically, um, and, I, and like 
like because the problem is even if you can do it once a day right like you're still doing it once a day every day if it's your best move and it still feels kind of rote then rather than being a cool moment yeah 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 um but yeah i don't i don't know how to how to solve that problem um me neither but <laughs> um which is why we're talking about it i guess but uh but i guess uh we're we're out of time yeah we're, we're yeah if you've got a solution to how to solve this problem you can email us and tell us at subversiveplaygames at gmail.com or uh podcast at subversiveplaygames.com also email us if you'd like to tell us about what you thought of Ant-Man and the Wasp or any of the other things we talked about on the show um you can follow us on twitch at twitch.tv slash subversiveplaygames you can follow us on twitter and on SoundCloud, and you can leave us comments everywhere, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, I think that's everything I had, buddy. Do you have anything else that you want to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>